This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Yvain by Chrétien de Troyes. Translated by W. W. Comfort. Section 3. Thus my lord Yvain considers her who is broken with her grief. And I suppose it would never happen again that any man in prison, like my lord Yvain, in fear for his life, would ever be so madly in love as to make no request on his own behalf, when perhaps no one else will speak for him. He stayed at the window until he saw the lady go away, and both the portcullises were lowered again. Another might have grieved at this, who would prefer a free escape to tarrying longer where he was. But to him it is quite indifferent whether they be shut or opened. If they were open, he surely would not go away. No, even were the lady to give him leave and pardon him freely for the death of her lord. For he is detained by love and shame, which rise up before him on either hand. He is ashamed to go away, for no one would believe in the success of his exploit. On the other hand, he has such a strong desire to see the lady at least, if he cannot obtain any other favor, that he feels little concern about his imprisonment. He would rather die than go away. And now the damsel returns, wishing to bear him company with her solace and gaiety, and to go and fetch for him whatever he may desire. But she found him pensive, and quite worn out with the love which had laid hold of him. Whereupon she addressed him thus, My lord Yvain, what sort of a time have you had to-day? I have been pleasantly occupied, was his reply. Pleasantly? In God's name, is that the truth? What? How can one enjoy himself, seeing that he is hunted to death, unless he courts and wishes it? Of a truth, he says, my gentle friend, I should by no means wish to die. And yet, as God beholds me, I was pleased, am pleased now, and always shall be pleased by what I saw. Well, let us say no more of that, she makes reply, for I can understand well enough what is the meaning of such words. I am not so foolish or inexperienced that I cannot understand such words as those. But come now after me, for I shall find some speedy means to release you from your confinement. I shall surely set you free to-night or to-morrow, if you please. Come now, I will lead you away. And thus he makes reply, You may be sure that I will never escape secretly and like a thief. When the people are all gathered out there in the streets, I can go forth more honorably than if I did so surreptitiously. Then he follows her into the little room, and the damsel, who was kind, secured and bestowed upon him all that he desired. And when the opportunity arose, she remembered what he had said to her, how he had been pleased by what he saw, when they were seeking him in the room with intent to kill him. The damsel stood in such favor with her lady that she had no fear of telling her anything, regardless of the consequences, for she was her confidante and companion. Then why should she be backward in comforting her lady, and in giving her advice which should redound to her honour. The first time she said to her privily, My lady, 
I greatly marvel to see you act so extravagantly. Do you think you can recover your lord by giving away thus to your grief? Nay, rather, if I had my wish, says she, I would now be dead of grief. And why? In order to follow after him. After him? God forbid, and give you again as good a lord as is consistent with his might. Thou didst never speak such a lie as that, for he could never give me so good a lord again. He will give you a better one, if you will accept him, and I can prove it. Be gone, peace, I shall never find such a one. Indeed you shall, my lady, if you will consent. Just tell me, if you will, who is going to defend your land when King Arthur comes next week to the margin of the spring? You have already been apprised of this by letters sent to you by the Damoiselle Sauvage. Alas, what a kind service she did for you! You ought to be considering how you will defend your spring, and yet you cease not to weep. If it please you, my dear lady, you ought not to delay, for surely all the nights you have are not worth, as you well know, so much as a single chambermaid. Neither shield nor lance will ever be taken in hand by the best of them. You have plenty of craven servants, but there is not one of them brave enough to dare to mount a steed. And the king is coming with such a host that his victory will be inevitable. The lady, upon reflection, knows very well that she is giving her sincere advice, but she is unreasonable in one respect, as also are other women who are, almost without exception, guilty of their own folly, and refuse to accept what they really wish. Be gone, she says, leave me alone. If I ever hear thee speak of this again, it will go hard with thee, unless thou flee. Thou weariest me with thy idle words. Very well, my lady, she says, that you are a woman is evident, for woman will grow irate when she hears anyone give her good advice. Then she went away and left her alone, and the lady reflected that she had been in the wrong. She would have been very glad to know how the damsel could ever prove that it would be possible to find a better knight than her lord had ever been. She would be very glad to hear her speak, but now she has forbidden her. With this desire in mind, she waited until she returned. But the warning was of no avail, for she began to say to her at once, My lady, is it seemly that you should thus torment yourself with grief? For God's sake now, control yourself, and for shame at least, cease your lament. It is not fitting that so great a lady should keep up her grief so long. Remember your honorable estate and your very gentle birth. Think you that all virtue ceased with the death of your lord? There are in the world a hundred as good, or better men. May God confound me if thou dost not lie. Just name to me a single one who is reputed to be so excellent as my lord was all his life. If I did so, you would be angry with me, and would fly into a passion, and you would esteem me less. No, I will not, I assure thee. Then may it all be for your future welfare, if you would but consent, and may God so incline your will. I see no reason for holding my peace, for no one hears or heeds what we say. Doubtless you will think I am impudent, but I shall freely speak my mind. 
when two knights have met in an affray of arms, and when one has beaten the other, which of the two do you think is the better? For my part, I award the prize to the victor. Now what do you think? It seems to me you are laying a trap for me and intend to catch me in my words. Upon my faith, you may rest assured that I am in the right, and I can irrefutably prove to you that he who defeated your lord is better than he was himself. He beat him and pursued him valiantly until he imprisoned him in his house. Now, she replies, I hear the greatest nonsense that was ever uttered. Begone, thou spirit charged with evil! Begone, thou foolish and tiresome girl! Never again utter such idle words, and never come again into my presence to speak a word on his behalf. Indeed, my lady, I knew full well that I should receive no thanks from you, and I said so before I spoke. But you promised me you would not be displeased, and that you would not be angry with me for it. But you have failed to keep your promise, and now, as it has turned out, you have discharged your wrath on me, and I have lost by not holding my peace. Thereupon she goes back to the room where my lord Yvain is waiting, comfortably guarded by her vigilance. But he is ill at ease when he cannot see the lady, and he pays no attention, and hears no word of the report which the damsel brings to him. The lady, too, is in great perplexity all night, being worried about how she should defend the spring, and she begins to repent of her actions to the damsel, whom she had blamed and insulted and treated with contempt. She feels very sure and certain that not for any reward or bribe, nor for any affection which she may bear him, would the maiden ever have mentioned him, and that she must love her more than him, and that she would never give her advice which would bring her shame or embarrassment. The maid is too loyal a friend for that. Thus, lo, the lady is completely changed. She fears now that she to whom she had spoken harshly will never love her again devotedly, and him whom she had repulsed she now loyally and with good reason pardons, seeing that he had done her no wrong. So she argues as if he were in her presence there, and thus she begins her argument. Come, she says, Canst thou deny that my lord was killed by thee? That, says he, I cannot deny. Indeed, I fully admit it. Tell me, then, the reason of thy deed. Didst thou do it to injure me, prompted by hate or by spite? May death not spare me now if I did it to injure you. In that case thou hast done me no wrong, nor art thou guilty of aught toward him, for he would have killed thee if he could. So it seems to me that I have decided well and righteously. Thus, by her own arguments, she succeeds in discovering justice, reason, and common sense. How that there is no cause for hating him. Thus she frames the matter to conform with her desire, and by her own efforts she kindles her love, as a bush which only smokes with the flame beneath, until someone blows it or stirs it up. If the damsel should come in now, she would win the quarrel for which she had been so reproached, and by which she had been so hurt. And next morning, in fact, she appeared again, taking the subject up where she had let it drop. Meanwhile, the lady bowed her head, knowing she had done wrong in attacking her. But now she is anxious to make amends, and to inquire concerning the name, character, and lineage of the knight. 
So she wisely humbles herself, and says, I wish to beg your pardon for the insulting words of pride which in my rage I spoke to you. I will follow your advice. So tell me now, if possible, about the knight of whom you have spoken so much to me. What sort of a man is he, and of what parentage? If he is suited to become my mate, and provided he be so disposed, I promise you to make him my husband and lord of my domain. But he will have to act in such a way that no one can reproach me by saying, This is she who took him who killed her lord. In God's name, lady, so shall it be. You will have the gentlest, noblest, and fairest lord who ever belonged to Abel's line. What is his name? My lord of Aim. Upon my word, if he is King Urien's son, he is of no mean birth, but very noble, as I well know. Indeed, my lady, you say the truth. And when shall we be able to see him? In five days' time. That would be too long, for I wish he were already come. Let him come to-night, or to-morrow at the latest. My lady, I think no one could fly so far in one day but I shall send one of my squires who can run fast, and who will reach King Arthur's court at least by tomorrow night, I think. That is the place we must seek him. That is a very long time. The days are long. But tell him that tomorrow night he must be back here, and that he must make greater haste than usual. If he will only do his best, he can do two days' journey in one. Moreover, tonight the moon will shine, so let him turn night into day and when he returns I will give him whatever he wishes me to give. Leave all care of that to me, for you shall have him in your hands the day after tomorrow at the very latest. Meanwhile, you shall summon your men and confer with them about the approaching visit of the king. In order to make the customary defense of your spring, it behooves you to consult with them. None of them will be so hardy as to dare to boast that he will present himself. In that case, you will have a good excuse for saying that it behooves you to marry again. A certain knight, highly qualified, seeks your hand, but you do not presume to accept him without the unanimous consent. And I warrant what the outcome will be. I know them all to be such cowards that in order to put on someone else the burden which would be too heavy for them, they will fall at your feet and speak their gratitude, for thus the responsibility will be at an end. For whoever is afraid of his own shadow willingly avoids, if possible, any meeting with lance or spear. For such games a coward has no use. Upon my word, the lady replies, so I would have it, and so I consent, having already conceived the plan which you have expressed. So that is what we shall do. But why do you tarry here? Go, without delay, and take measures to bring him here, while I shall summon my liegemen thus concluded their conference, and the damsel pretends to send to search for my lord of Aine in his country, while every day she has him bathed and washed and groomed, and besides this she prepares for him a robe of red scarlet stuff, brand new and lined with spotted fur. There is nothing necessary for his equipment which she does not lend him, a golden buckle for his neck, ornamented with precious stones which make people look well, a girdle, and a wallet made of rich gold brocade. She fitted him out perfectly, then informed her lady that the messenger had returned, having done his errand well. How is that? she says. Is he here? Then let him come at once, 
secretly and privily, while no one else is here with me. See to it that no one else comes in, for I should hate to see a fourth person here. At this the damsel went away, and returned to her guest again. However, her face did not reveal the joy that was in her heart. Indeed, she said that her lady knew that she had been sheltering him, and was very much incensed at her. Further concealment is useless now. The news about you has been so divulged that my lady knows the whole story, and is very angry with me, heaping me with blame and reproaches. But she has given me her word that I may take you into her presence without any harm or danger. I take it that you will have no objection to this, except for one condition, for I must not disguise the truth or I should be unjust to you. She wishes to have you in her control, and she desires such complete possession of your body that even your heart shall not be at large. Certainly, he said, I readily consent to what will be no hardship to me. I am willing to be her prisoner. So shall you be. I swear it by this right hand laid upon you. Now come, and, upon my advice, demean yourself so humbly in her presence that your imprisonment may not be grievous. Otherwise feel no concern. I do not think that your restraint will be irksome. Then the damsel leads him off, now alarming, now reassuring him, and speaks to him mysteriously about the confinement in which he is to find himself. For every lover is a prisoner. She is right in calling him a prisoner, for surely anyone who loves is no longer free. Taking my lord Yvain by the hand, the damsel leads him where he will be dearly loved. But expecting to be ill-received is not strange if he is afraid. They found the lady seated upon a red cushion. I assure you, my lord Yvain was terrified upon entering the room, for he found the lady who spoke not a word to him. At this he was still more afraid, being overcome with fear at the thought that he had been betrayed. He stood there to one side so long that the damsel at last spoke up and said, Five hundred curses upon the head of him, who takes into a fair lady's chamber a knight who will not draw near and who has neither tongue nor mouth nor sense to introduce himself. Thereupon, taking him by the arm, she thrust him forward with the words, Come, step forward, knight, and have no fear that my lady is going to snap at you, but seek her good will and give her yours. I will join you in your prayer that she pardon you for the death of her lord, Esclados the Red. Then my lord Yvain clasped his hands, and falling upon his knees, spoke like a lover with these words i will not crave your pardon lady but rather thank you for any treatment you may inflict on me knowing that no act of yours could ever be distasteful to me is that so sir and what if i think to kill you now my lady if it please you you will never hear me speak otherwise i never heard of such a thing as this that you put yourself voluntarily and absolutely within my power without the coercion of any one. My lady, there is no force so strong, in truth, as that which commands me to conform absolutely to your desire. I do not fear to carry out any order you may be pleased to give, and if I could atone for the death, which came through no fault of mine, I would do so cheerfully. What, she says, come tell me now and be forgiven, if you did no wrong in killing my lord. Lady, he says, if I may say it, when your lord attacked me, why was I wrong to defend myself? When a man in self-defense kills another, 
who is trying to kill or capture him. Tell me if in any way he is to blame. No, if one looks at it aright, and I suppose it would have been no use if I had had you put to death. But I should be glad to learn whence you derive the force that bids you to consent unquestioningly to whatever my will may dictate. I pardon you all your misdeeds and crimes. But be seated, and tell us now, what is the cause of your docility? My lady, he says, the impelling force comes from my heart, which is inclined toward you. My heart has fixed me in this desire. And what prompted your heart, my fair sweet friend? Lady, my eyes. And what the eyes? The great beauty that I see in you. And where is beauty's fault in that? Lady, in this, that it makes me love. Love? And whom? You, my lady dear. I? Yes, truly. Really? And how is that? To such an extent that my heart will not stir from you, nor is it elsewhere to be found. To such an extent that I cannot think of anything else, and I surrender myself altogether to you, whom I love more than I love myself, and for whom, if you will, I am equally ready to die or live. And would you dare to undertake the defense of my spring for love of me? Yes, my lady, against the world. Then you may know that our peace is made. Thus they are quickly reconciled, and the lady, having previously consulted her lords, says, We shall proceed from here to the hall where my men are assembled, who, in view of the evident need, have advised and counseled me to take a husband at their request, and I shall do so in view of the urgent need. Here and now I give myself to you, for I should not refuse to accept as lord such a good knight and a king's son. Now the damsel had brought about exactly what she had desired, and my lord Yvain's mastery is more complete than could be told or described, for the lady leads him away to the hall, which was full of her knights and men-at-arms, and my lord Yvain was so handsome that they all marvelled to look at him, and all, rising to their feet, salute and bow to my lord Yvain, guessing well as they did so. This is he whom my lady will select. Cursed be he who opposes him, for he seems a wonderfully fine man. Surely the Empress of Rome would be well married with such a man. Would now that he had given his word to her, and she to him, with clasped hand, and that the wedding may take place to-day or to-morrow. Thus they spoke among themselves. At the end of the hall there was a seat, and there in the sight of all the lady took her place. And my lord Yvain made as if he intended to seat himself at her feet, but she raised him up, and ordered the seneschal to speak aloud, so that his speech might be heard by all. Then the seneschal began, being neither stubborn nor slow of speech. My lords, he said, we are confronted by war. Every day the king is preparing with all the haste he can command to come and ravage our lands. Before a fortnight shall have passed, all will have been laid to waste, unless some valiant defender shall appear. When my lady married first, not quite seven years ago, she did it on your advice. Now her husband is dead, and she is grieved. Six feet of earth is all he has, who formerly owned all this land, and who was indeed its ornament. 
it is a pity he lives so short a while. A woman cannot bear a shield, nor does she know how to fight with lance. It would exalt and dignify her again if she should marry some worthy lord. Never was there greater need than now. Do all of you recommend that she take a spouse? Before the custom shall lapse which has been observed in this town for more than the past sixty years. At this, all at once proclaim that it seems to them the right thing to do, and they all throw themselves at her feet. They strengthen her desire by their consent, yet she hesitates to assert her wishes until, as if against her will, she finally speaks to the same intent as she would have done, indeed, if every one had opposed her wish. My lords, since it is your wish, this knight who is seated beside me has wooed me and ardently sought my hand. He wishes to engage himself in the defense of my rights and in my service, for which I thank him heartily, as you do also. It is true I have never known him in person, but I have often heard his name. Know that he is no less a man than the son of King Urien. Besides his illustrious lineage, he is so brave, courteous, and wise that no one has cause to disparage him. You have all already heard, I suppose, of my lord Yvain, and it is he who seeks my hand. When the marriage is consummated, I shall have a more noble lord than I deserve. They all say, If you are so prudent, this very day shall not go by without the marriage being solemnized. For it is folly to postpone for a single hour an advantageous act. They beseech her so insistently that she consents to what she would have done in any case. For love bids her to do that for which she asks counsel and advice but there is more honor for him in being accepted with the approval of her men. To her their prayers are not unwelcome. Rather do they stir and incite her heart to have its way. The horse, already under speed, goes faster yet when it is spurred. In the presence of all her lords, the lady gives herself to my lord Yvain. From the hand of her chaplain he received the lady, Laudine du Landuc, daughter of Duke Laudonnet, of whom they sing a lay. That very day, without delay, he married her, and the wedding was celebrated. There were plenty of mitres and croziers there, for the lady had summoned her bishops and abbots. Great was the joy and rejoicing. There were many people, and much wealth was displayed, more than I could tell you of, were I to devote much thought to it. It is better to keep silent than to be inadequate. So my lord Yvain is master now, and the dead man is quite forgot. He who killed him is now married to his wife, and they enjoy the marriage rites. The people love and esteem their living lord more than they ever did the dead. They served him well at his marriage feast, until the eve before the day when the king came to visit the marvellous spring in its stone, bringing with him upon this expedition his companions and all those of his household. No one was left behind. And my lord Kay remarked, Ah, what now has become of Yvain, who after his dinner made the boast that he would avenge his cousin's shame? Evidently he spoke in his cups. I believe that he has run away. He would not dare to come back for anything. He was very presumptuous to make such a boast. He is a bold man who dares to boast of what no one would praise him for, and who has no proof of his great feats except the words of some false flatterer. There is a great difference between a coward and a hero, for the coward seated beside the fire talks loudly about himself, holding all the rest as fools, and thinking that no one knows his real character. 
a hero would be distressed at hearing his prowess related by someone else and yet i maintain that the coward is not wrong to praise and vaunt himself for he will find no one else to lie for him if he does not boast of his deeds who will all pass over him in silence even the heralds who proclaim the brave but discard the cowards when my lord kay had spoken thus my lord gawain made this reply my lord kay have some mercy now since my lord yvain is not here you do not know what business occupies him indeed he never so debased himself as to speak any ill of you compared with the gracious things he has said sire says kay i'll hold my peace i'll not say another word to-day since i see you are offended by my speech then the king in order to see the rain poured a whole basin full of water upon the stone beneath the pine and at once the rain began to pour it was not long before my lord of vain without delay entered the forest fully armed riding faster than a gallop on a large sleek steed strong intrepid and fleet of foot and it was my lord Kay's desire to request the first encounter. For whatever the outcome might be, he always wished to begin the fight and joust the first, or else he would be much incensed. Before all the rest, he requested the king to allow him to do battle first. The king says, Kay, since it is your wish, and since you are the first to make the request, the favor ought not to be denied. Kay thanks him first, then mounts his steed. If now my lord Yvain can inflict a mild disgrace upon him, he will be very glad to do so, for he recognizes him by his arms. Each grasping his shield by the straps, they rush together. Spurring their steeds, they lower the lances, which they hold tightly gripped. Then they thrust them forward a little, so that they grasp them by the leather-wrapped handles, so that when they came together, they were able to deal such cruel blows that both lances broke in splinters, clear to the handle of the shaft. My lord Yvain gave him such a mighty blow that Kay took a somersault from out of his saddle and struck with his helmet on the ground. My lord Yvain has no desire to inflict upon him further harm, but simply dismounts and takes his horse. This pleased them all, and many said, "'Ah, ah, see how you prostrate lie!' who but now held others up to scorn. And yet it is only right to pardon you this time, for it never happened to you before. Thereupon my lord Yvain approached the king, leading the horse in his hand by the bridle, and wishing to make it over to him. Sire, says he, now take this steed, for I should do wrong to keep back anything of yours. And who are you? the king replies. I should never know you, unless I heard your name or saw you without your arms. Then my lord told him who he was, and Kay was overcome with shame, mortified, humbled, and discomfited, for having said that he had run away. But the others were greatly pleased, and made much of the honor he had won. Even the king was greatly gratified, my lord Gawain a hundred times more than anyone else, for he loved his company more than any of the other knights he knew and the king requested him urgently to tell him, if it be his will, how he had fared, for he was very curious to learn all about his adventure, so the king begs him to tell the truth, and he soon told him all about the service and kindness of the damsel, not passing over a single word, not forgetting to mention anything, and after this he invited the king and all his knights to come lodge with him, 
saying they would be doing him great honor in accepting his hospitality. And the king said that for an entire week he would gladly do him the honor and pleasure, and would bear him company. And when my lord Yvain had thanked him, they tarry no longer there, but mount and take the most direct road to the town. My lord Yvain sends in advance of the company, a squire bearing a crane falcon, in order that they might not take the lady by surprise, and that her people might decorate the streets against the arrival of the king. When the lady heard the news of the king's visit, she was greatly pleased, nor was there any one who, upon hearing the news, was not happy and elated. And the lady summons them all and requests them to go to meet him, to which they make no objection or remonstrance, all being anxious to do her will. End of section 3